Welcome to the Talk and Chatter Experience, powered by Gasoline Alley Harley Davidson. Today's guest is um, MotoGP mechanic and basically lifer for MotoGP, Brent Stevens. Welcome, mate. How are you going? Good to see you. Very good, mate. Um, thanks so much for having you at your house, for one thing, and um, welcome back to Australia. And who's Brent Stevens? <laughs> yeah. I'm a farm boy from New Zealand, basically. Yeah. Milking cows, got wayward in motorcycle racing, and this is where I am. This is where I ended up. 20 years later, 25 years later. What a crazy story, eh? To come from NZ, which uh, a lot of, you know, uh, it's one of those places where a lot of people, a lot of hands-on people do come from, hey? Yeah, I, I certainly believe that now in hindsight when I see, you know, more globally, because when you grow up in New Zealand, you're a little bit, feel you are isolated, although you're not, but um, you live in your little bubble sort of thing, you know, and I, not for one minute do I ever think I was going to travel the world doing what I was doing, because basically I had no interest in road racing at all. I just yeah, right. farm bikes and motocross bikes, you know, and that's what sort of led me there. So when you first jumped onto a motorcycle, I'm guessing it was a farm bike yep. originally, eh? Yep. yep. Uh, when, did, when did you pursue it into a motocross bike or when did you start doing all that sort of stuff? I was probably a pretty late starter, you know, when you look at the ages of guys riding bikes now, but just started racing the farm bike, basically jumping the local neighbours on made our own jumps and all that sort of crazy stuff. And I never raced junior motocross, I just went straight into senior, so it was, you know, I was, I was 16 pretty much and... I only raced for six years, seven years, yep. and um, I still really loved it, but I think you, I sort of was realistic about it. I was, I was pretty good, not the best in New Zealand, but, you know, top five sort of thing, and I realised that, okay, there's so many other things I want to do. Do you just dedicate your life to doing that and miss out on those other things? And uh, me and my younger brother started racing jet skis. That was the beginning of jet ski racing in New Zealand, so him and I... Stand up? Yep, because was, that's all there was back then, Kawasaki's, yep. so... Uh, him and I just raced every opportunity we got for like about five or six years and, you know, won New Zealand titles and that sort of stuff. And Wow. Yeah, had a go at that. Then did some car racing, HQ Holdens. Raced, nice. those, raced those for a couple of years. Best just, fun ever. Yeah, <laughs> water ski, just, just, just tried everything as much yeah. as I could, you know, because I just wanted to experience life and not sort of feel like I dedicated myself to something. And, I mean, you either decide you want to make a career out of it, I thought, yeah. Or just in, enjoy life and tick off as many boxes as you can. So I did Jeez, that. mate, you ticked off a few at the start, like early on, hey? Like, yeah, yeah, I, I did. I guess at that, and in that stage, I still really didn't know what I I liked. I enjoyed all of them pretty much, sort of thing, yeah. you know. And I, I didn't sort of favour one from the other. And still, you know, when I was racing cars, I was still riding jet skis and stuff, and still a little bit of motocross when I could, but nothing, you know, hardcore. So where, where was the uh, jet ski race in New Zealand? Where was that? I don't know what happened. Uh, we raced in Wellington Harbour, and we raced up at Taupo. Yep. Uh, there was a place close to us. There's like a, a lake sort of thing. We'd have set up courses. But it was, it was at the beginning of racing in New Zealand sort of thing, so there, there wasn't that many clubs, and it was all hands-on. You know, there was all closed course. You know, you'd go out there, and they had, we'd had log jumps and all that sort of freestyle events. And it was – I look at it now, you know, the, the racing they have in America, and I just – it's just phenomenal where it – how it started, because yeah. I mean Kawasaki had the painting, so there was only Kawasaki 300s, 445, 50, nothing. You know, Yamaha didn't, wasn't even able to have a ski at that stage. Is that right? So Kawasaki owned the patent for a jet ski? Yeah, for, for a good 10 years, and then when that came off, yeah. they kind of sat on their hands a little bit, to be honest, I think. Yeah. You know, they didn't develop it enough. Because they yeah, owned it. Yeah, yeah, and then when Yamaha came along, you know, they came with their super jet, and it sort of like transformed everything. I mean, it's good that Kawasaki is still going now, but... You know, Yamaha dominated again for a while. Yeah, Yamaha is obviously one of the market, probably the market leader now. I'm guessing. 
I, ma- I imagine so, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sea and stuff out there, sure. but that's, I don't know the real reasons behind that. <laughs> yeah. But I know it's one of those uh, sports where, or hobbies, hobbies slash sports where the marketing is such a huge part of it, isn't it? Oh, a- you know. a- absolutely. I mean, you're going to get diehards. I mean, I've always only had Yamahas. Yep. I mean, they, I mean, Yamaha already always uh, a leader in marine, so I always thought that, you know, that's not like you're, you're bringing in something that they don't know about having building an engine for the ocean and all that yep. sort of stuff, so they were pretty reliable, so I'm, I've always had that. I've never had a sea do, although my brother does and he swears by them, but really? he's, got a, he's got a mate, that, <laughs> he's got a sea do shop, so oh, that, you know, that sort of thing changes everything, right? <laughs> so did he, is he here as well? No, no, yeah, all my family are in back, back in New, New Zealand. Zealand, yeah, yeah. When, when did the mechanical side of things start? Like, obviously, being on a farm, you've got to be pretty hands-on. So when did that all start for you? Um, well, actually, because well, I just started racing, and one of the bigger motorbike shops in, uh, New Zealand, I knew the guy that I was, I was racing against him, and he offered me an apprenticeship, basically. It was yeah. a Suzuki dealer. I was racing Suzukis, and I just left home at 16 and moved away, you know, an hour away from where the farm was, and set up camp there, and did my apprenticeship, and raced under his banner and that's when I did all my racing in New Zealand pretty much for Suzuki at that stage and that was yes five well, three year four year apprenticeship so what are you talking about RM yeah RM Suzuki yeah yeah yep. yep. exactly yeah very nice yeah yeah the, the beginning of it all <laughs> so when did uh, what sort of era are we talking about for bikes there like what, what sort of years are we in there oh well, I was born 65 so that was like 80s yeah yep you know I remember the the first, the full floater Suzuki's, and you know that was the very first them, RMZ, you know, and that was that that changed motocross for you know with it's the ra- with the radiators down low, with the cooling, the full floater suspension, it, they they just wiped Yamaha because I was I had ridden Yamaha a fair bit at the beginning, but they just made such a good bike straight out of the gate there with that. So so did you stay at that shop? You did your apprenticeship at for a long time? Uh, quite a while, yeah. I did my apprenticeship and stayed there, and then. Um, I left there probably a couple of years later and started a, sh- a business with a friend of mine. It was like dismantling bikes and selling a few second-hand ones and stuff like that. But then uh, my boss that I used to race with that owned the Suzuki shop, he asked me to come back and I went back there as a salesman. All right. And I did two years uh, working there as a salesman. And that was, that was good. I really enjoyed that as a change because it was it's not. I think it's nice to be able to have a good overview of what you're selling. Mm, definitely. You yep. know, like from a mechanical point of view and reliability and all that sort of stuff. And at, and at that point, uh, when I was doing my apprenticeship, actually, to extend the story a little bit, Simon Crafer yep. was uh, an apprentice when I just finished my time. He started uh, working there. What is a bike mechanic? Yep. So is he a bike mechanic? Did he? Yep. He's he a, is. He's a bike mechanic. Probably a lot of people don't know, and he doesn't really say anything about it. Ah, he's a so, qualified bike mechanic. Oh, I'm pretty sure he's qualified. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but he, 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 he was there and he was doing his apprenticeship. apprenticeship. I, I, oh, know cool. for, I know for sure. So, so he was there in the, yep. in the workshop when I was working there. We became pretty close, sort of thing, and yep. to the extent where I, I used to date his sister and stuff like that. But um, and I moved to Auckland for a little while, uh, worked in a bike shop up there, and then he went to he went to uh, um, to England. I think he started racing in England, and then went to Italy and to the World Superbikes. And he uh, got me to go over there and, and work for him. And that was a, that was the start of my racing career as a mechanic, basically. And that was '95. I went over there with him with. Uh, Rumi Honda. Wow. Mm. So, was RC45? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, that what a nice bike, eh? Yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, because it was just, it was pretty much the second year of the RC45 because the RC30, and this was a much, much better bike. Yeah. And I was really lucky because uh, the team I, I went over there and he was riding for was a, a satellite team, and 
I didn't have a lot of money, and it was based in Milan, close to Milan. And um, one of the riders, I can't even remember the HSC rider that pulled the pin at the last minute, American guy. And um, Simon got the ride, basically. Wow. So they wanted him, but he, he, had, he rode it in roomy colours, now original sponsor's colours, but it was a factory bike. So my first year doing the World Superbikes, we ended up on a factory bike. Oh, mate, that's unreal. So, you know, another couple of Kiwis, Norris Farrow and another guy from New Zealand that were working, I think they were working with Aaron Slight and stuff like that over there. So I got to work with them, so it was it was pretty cool. So straight away I was straight in a factory team and it was a pretty... That's pretty, pretty cool. A pretty daunting experience straight out of the gate, you know, flying from, you know, from <laughs> little, little old New Zealand over there, drop into Milan and be thrown to that because, I mean, I didn't speak any Italian and... A lot of the people that I was working with didn't speak any English, so it was pretty tough to start with. And at that time, like, it was booming as a sport too, hey? Yeah, the World Tour Box were yep. great then, you know, like, it was, oh, it was just, the list, list was endless, yep. and, it was, and it, was a, it was a great, great era to be in. I'd say it's better then than it is now, for sure. I mean, I, I try and follow it, but it doesn't seem to have the depth that it had back then. Yeah, definitely, like, not, you know... Probably 95 through to 07, probably, Troy, probably Troy's time, I know that's sad to say for the sport but when Troy retired um, both Troys I yeah. feel it sort of lost a bit of pizzazz if that makes sense you know so. yeah well, it did because I mean there was I mean Colin stayed there for quite a while yeah, Colin, Colin Edwards, Edwards. there's a lot of you know, Noriyuki Haga like yeah yeah, you know, yeah Scott Russell ones. Scott Russell was there when, when I was yeah. there but it was it was fun times like I mean the as daunting as it was getting into it yeah the, the, everyone was super super friendly and I mean they used to have nice parties after you know I mean they used to hang out in the pits a lot more you know they yeah. everyone was socialised there but I mean when you compare that to now it's, it's such a different level now geez you've seen both sides of it hey like yeah. from now I'm guessing and we'll get to it but it must be just corporate corporate to back then where you have sponsors but the sponsors are part of everything and have a party and stuff I'm guessing yeah I mean I almost feel like the corporate thing runs MotoGP now yep and you sort of feel like um, the racing part is like secondary to it. Yeah. Whereas it never used to be. I mean, I know that's probably not the case. A lot of people don't see it that way. But, you know, back in the days of superbikes, you go win racings, races, all the corporate stuff take, takes care of itself. Mm. Whereas now it seems to be the other way around. You know, we'll, we'll put on this big show and uh, uh, we had a bit of a bad day. Yeah. You know, but that, that's how it seems. It's sort of catered that way now. It, uh, Oh, very much, yeah. You know, it does seem that way. So did you have much of an interest in road, even like you're saying motocross and stuff, before you going over with with Simon or was it? No? no, not at all. I mean, I did, when Simon was racing in New Zealand, I went and gave him a hand a couple of times. They had a thing called the Marlborough Series mm-hmm. and it was, they, they raced in Whanganui and I went and helped him for a, for a weekend sort of thing. And But I, that, that was it really. I didn't have an interest yeah. other than I had a, a motocross bike and, I did a couple of road racing events uh, in Taupo and stuff like that where you put slick tyres on your motocross bike and right. race around, but no, nah, not to the extent. I mean, everyone saw the posters of Wayne Rainey and John Kaczynski and all those sort of guys. Yep. Um, but it was never, 100% never a passion of mine, not at all. Wow. What a way you've come, eh? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, seriously, from 95 <laughs> to 2020, yeah, yeah, you've been yeah. in the road. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, even now, and I was, you get such so wrapped up in the situation, you don't actually where where you've gone. Yeah, you know, I mean, one one year leads to the other. I mean, it does in life in general. But oh, think of the what a puzzle. Well, they rattled off that when I left Yamaha, they rattled off the statistics of how many races I'd 
Grand Prix I'd done and it was 400, 400 and something. It was, wow. I mean, it was amazing. I just went, <laughs> I don't remember walking to the start line that many times, <laughs> that's for sure. Because like for, for me and, you know, I um, hope this comes across well, but, you know, you, you've been on the MotoGP or 500 Grand Prix side mm. since 99. 99, something. yeah. yeah. So I'm 36 now. Yeah. So. I've watched you on TV for, you know, <laughs> since I was a kid and like to see for you, you've been out on the grid all those damn times. It, yeah. It must be weird looking back at it when you do have time to reflect. Yeah, do. I mean, I've got time to reflect now and you st- I still really kind of don't because it still doesn't feel that far <laughs> away that, and I guess in parts of me think that maybe I'll get back there. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of water under the bridge. That's for, that's for sure. Definitely. You know, I mean, I've done that more than I've done anything else in my life, and that that was quite a few years ago that I realised that. Yeah. You know, 25 years of racing. It's a long time. Well, 25 years of travelling backwards and forward to Australia <laughs> on an yeah. aeroplane. Yeah, well, that's it. Like, yeah, the amount of flights. You know, if you put the statistics of flights alone, like you would have flown more than most pilots. You know. Well, Alex and I, because we Alex Briggs and I, we travel all the time together, and we, you know, you know those flight trackers now that tell you put in how many oh, yeah. all the flights you do and sort of that. 500 and 40 or 560 flying hours we did last year or the year before the year before yeah the last full year season we had yeah so and that's just that's just flying not airports not yeah not the downtime no no know. just on airplane so it's a massive amount an hour and a half every day for the whole year it, wow, breaks, it, bra- it breaks down to basically it's a long time out of your, your <laughs> yeah. weekend you know I, I guess i look at it the way you know, a lot of people jump in a car and drive to brisbane for an hour each way that's true and think nothing of it and i just go jump on a plane for an hour and a half and someone serves me a drink so it's yeah yeah that's your trip to work yeah, yeah, yeah you'll, go to, you'll go yeah. to a masano for a trip to work <laughs> yeah so um 500s so you went world supers and then 500s yeah. with with simon as well hey at that time i i did three years with simon in the, in the supers with uh Two with Kawasaki and one with Honda. So did he go to the ZX7 yeah. after that? Yeah, yeah he did. Uh, 96, he went with Muzzy Kawasaki. We were based in Spain. It's a good package, eh? Yeah, it was, was back then, yeah. yeah. And then um, the team changed with Harold Eco, the German team, and then we did another year there. And then in 90, uh, 98, yeah, 98, I came home back to New Zealand. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. And I'd worked with um, Mike Webb, the Kiwi guy, who's now the director of yeah, yep. senior director of MotoGP. I worked with him and Simon. He was the engine guy, and I was the chassis guy. And and Mike rang me in '98, he did '98, and said, "Look, hey, we need a mechanic for the 500 project because that was when Wayne Rainey had stepped aside, and they started mm-hmm. a new team with Max Biaggi and Carlos Checker. And he said, "Just come to," and I'd just moved to Australia basically, and it was had a job lined up. And he said, "Just come, come to Amsterdam for." Two weeks, build some race bikes. We want you to stay. If you don't want to stay, we'll pay you and send you home. And it's all, you know, you got nothing yep. to lose, basically. And I sort of, my, my mates around me convinced me to go because I sort of I felt like I hadn't quite ticked off all the boxes that right. I could have ticked off. And uh, so, yes, yeah, so I jumped on the plane, went over there and signed a contract. And, you know, that was it, basically. And I was going to end up working with uh, Carlos Checker. In 95, when you first went, did you expect just to go for a few months? No, not 95 when I went over the Simon. I, the intention was to go over there and... The full... Well, at least do a year, you yep. know. I almost came home. Yeah. It's a big... Were you homesick? Um, not really homesick. I just had another mechanic that was there that made life really, really difficult. Like, really? Like, really difficult. And yep. the people that... Uh, the team manager and his wife, I one day I just said, look, I'm, I'm going home. And they said, why? And I said, well, because of this and this and this. And 
they end up, no, we, can, we don't want you to go home, that's not right, and sorted it out, and the other guy left and I stayed. So wow. it was it was a fine line between, you know, leaving or staying. Yeah. And I'm glad I, did, I'm glad I ended up staying, for sure, because, you know, I got to do what I've, what I've done, basically, so... Wow, that's a that's a huge step, eh? At that point, you know, I it's very early on. It is, yeah. But I think um, I said to them, I said, I, I didn't come over here for a, for a weekend. I said, it takes a lot for somebody to move from the other side of the Jeez. world. Yeah, you know, not knowing where you're going, what you're doing, and stuff like that. So I said, I didn't take it lightly. Yep. But I said, I'm not here to get messed around either. So yeah, I want to I want to do the best, and I want to be in an environment that's good for everybody, yep. including the rider. You know, and you know, it's got to be harmonious. You know always was like that and it most certainly has to be now you know when you're working with you know, sure. a lot of guys when you're back in that era what what would a what would a weekend be like what would you be working on a bike would it like as a mechanic what uh well back back then because there was um the super bike you you couldn't change gearboxes and stuff like that because yep. they're all sealed in the engine yep. same as they are now but it was just general maintenance basically yep. i mean suspension it's if you t- it's the same as what we do like in the Grand Prix scene, but we change gearboxes and we have a lot more to do. You know, suspension, cleaning, brakes. Is, I don't know. You, I always thought when I first went over there, I went, God, you got two mechanics for, for three mechanics for two bikes. What do you guys do for that? All that beer. But <laughs> yep. you find, I mean, you, you're not always busy, but when you are busy, you're busy. You know, you need those people. If you have a crash or an engine failure or something like that, yep. that's when it's all hands on deck. So there is a lot reason amount of downtime sometimes. But uh, just just general maintenance, you get you know the, the adjustments they make for the suspension, the geometry and stuff like that. There's time you get there and clean a little bit of the bike when it comes in after a session, get your wheels out, do the fuel and everything like that. And then you're waiting for the guys to have a meeting to decide what they're going to do for the next session. Before you know it, time rolls on and a couple of hours are gone in a heartbeat, and then you're back out on the track. So the day rolls on pretty quickly. I tell you that. I can imagine it'd mm. be it'd mm. be a hectic time. Yeah. So when you went to Yamaha in that '98 period, that would have been around the time of. They started experimenting a little bit with different cranks and stuff like that, didn't they? Yeah, and that was, it was 90, it was 99 was when I started with a because I went into 98 to build yep. the bikes. 99 was with a, with a 500. Yeah, they did. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you don't hear about, even though yep. you're working on the stuff. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, more so of late, you know, with a factory Yamaha, you don't. They don't tell you anything. Really? really? No, it's almost like they don't trust you. So there's an engineering team. That yeah, works yeah. that side of it, yeah. and then there's a mechanical team. Yeah, and there's all the crew chiefs and the engineers yep. that work with the Japanese engineers. They get to know a little bit, but I mean, but not the full. Not, not definitely not. I mean, we'd turn up at a test. Typically, Bruno was our mid-year test for the Grand Prix. Yeah, it would go there, and we'd know we'd have a new bike. But I wouldn't know what what's new on the bike until it arrives, and I start building it. Wow, that that sort of secrecy, yep. you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite a weird thing. So as far as a, you're talking about the crankshafts and stuff like that back in 99, yep. I couldn't tell you what changed back then. I mean, although I built the engines as well, we all yep. had, we all built, shared the engine build yep. sort of thing. But from the time I started, I don't remember a big change with the crankshafts and stuff like that. But they were good times back on two-stroke. I really enjoyed the two-stroke. Yeah. yeah. And if you talk to a lot of the mechanics that have gone through that phase of Grand Prix, I mean, there's... Like Alex two, and yourself. Yeah, and yeah. Then, yep. How how much we enjoyed that part of it, it was more more hands on because you're you know after every session you'd be pulling the cylinders off and the, you know and checking for detonation and all that sort of yep. stuff and cleaning the heads and then on you know on the Thursday when you're doing your prep work you'd build a new crankcase for for Saturday night for a race engine wow. so you put all that together that's sitting there so then on Sunday Saturday night. You, 
pull the engine out and put a brand new engine there and put those cylinders and heads off the other bike on that. And it, it was, I'd say, more rewarding yeah. in a way, you know. And I think when we when we moved to the four stroke, everyone thought, oh, oh wow, not going to do half as many gearboxes, not going to do, haven't got all the engine stuff, but you end up just changing engines all the time. And gearboxes, we just, just pull the full unit out. Yeah, yeah, but you end up rotating them around mm. <clears throat> because the engines, you know, you got certain mileage of them, so you keep the good ones in there for the races, so you end up rotating engines around a lot. But it was different at the beginning of the four-stroke era because we had unlimited engines, yeah. and they were just being changed all, I mean, all the time. We, that that we, first year of the 990, Jesus, some money must have been spent. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, unlimited engines... We did, I remember, because uh, David Brivio, that guy's, you know, everyone knows him from Suzuki, he was our team manager there. We tried to cut a deal with him to, to pay us just for engine changes. Really? We did so many. Yeah, yeah, we, seriously. We said, look, just pay us X amount of money for each engine change because yeah. we did something like 100 engine changes in the year. It was phenomenal. We were doing like five or six a weekend. Easy. Holy crap, seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'd be doing two a night, take the engines out, come back in the morning because they yep. wanted to do some maintenance on it that had to be done overnight, come back early in the morning, put an engine back in. Wow. Were yeah. they flying parts around at that time? Like, I know that was sort of the time where Michelin were flying tyres around. And yeah, stuff yeah, like. yeah. Engines the same sort of thing? Uh, a lot of it was still done. I, th- I think they were flying engines around because we you know, they were endless. They were just getting rotated around sort yeah. of thing. They'd go back to the workshop and get service and stuff like that and put new valves and all that sort of stuff in it. So I don't, I don't see that as being... Even though they limited it down to the number of engines, like of late, I'm not sure whether that made it that much cheaper. You know, in the, in, in in hindsight, because they had to do all this development mm. to make the engines last longer, like stronger cranks, rods, pistons, all this sort of stuff. You know, but when you had endless amount of engines, you just do you know 800 k's on them, pull them out, they'd service them, put them back in again because most of the running gear is all fine. Mm. All the crankcase and all that sort of all stuff. All the basic stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So, I don't know. It sounds like a fancy way to save money, but I'm not quite sure whether it really worked that well. Yeah, and I think that's a consensus a lot of, uh, amongst a lot of people, even with the racing side of it, with uh, motocross and that as yeah. well. Like everyone's saying, you know, 250 era for motocross was still probably one of the best, yeah. you know. Um, and then, yeah, it just doesn't seem like it worked, you know. No, no, I don't, I don't think it was a big cost-saving no. exercise, you know, because... Everything had to last like fifty percent longer. Yeah, you know, and You're still uh, pumping a lot of oil through them. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, that I can say that we certainly, they certainly burn a lot of oil. That's for sure. So, but uh, and Carlos time. So Carlos would have been a young, he would have been a young pilot at that time. Yeah, he was. He was a he was a great kid. I mean, he, he kept, when we came over to Australia to Phillip Island, he came and stayed at my my house here and with his mate, yeah. and we went diving, and I took him out jet skiing, and he destroyed my jet skis just that sort of <laughs> kind of character but he was a fun fun guy to be yeah. around you know but he was so close to being great but not quite there you know like i mean he we, i don't think we won a race with with carlos to be honest in four years but he was always right there you know max was yeah. just a little bit better and back in that time we were competing against valentino on the honda and mm. you know there's barros around there's there's a lot of good guys but he got he got a bit of a nickname for a old chucker yeah, and, yeah. He, and he lived up to the name. I, th- I think we still probably hold the record. I think twenty-eight crashes in a season. Wow, so that's was, a lot. <laughs> yeah, and that was my first year with him. I went, man, if I can last a whole year out with Carlos, I can do anything. <laughs> I reckon. You know, we were fixing bikes that were on fire, and <laughs> just you know, we went to a test. I always mean went to him 
test him with Jello, and he crashed three times, twice in the same corner, and just kept coming back. We couldn't fix him quick enough. Really? Yeah, and they got to the point where the team manager said, Carlos, you got to go home. He said, we can't, we've got nothing left for you. You know, the, you sort of guy there just put, keep pushing and not realise why he crashed, you know. not Yeah, not looking looking at it, you know. I yeah, guess. but he's super talent at the same time, sure. you know. So, yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed the time working with him for sure, you know. And his career, as his career went on too, like he, um, that consistency came, I, I feel, eh? like he had a magnificent career. So. No, 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 he, he really did. Like I say, he was always... He was always just so close yep. to greatness, you know. Mm. He was he was great, but you know, there's only a few people get to that point that that point one percent or whatever it is. Yeah, or well, I mean, okay, Max was super dominant, but Valentino railroaded his career as far as being yeah. the greatest, you know. Yeah, look at Cedric Gibbonow; he was great too. Yeah, until until yeah. he had the conflict with Valley and Valley said, "You're never going to beat me again." He never did. Mate, that's just that was huge, hey. Mm. And and like. You're right in the middle of this at that time. Yeah, that must have been a, a strange moment, eh? Yeah, I remember the. Oh, I remember one time that was, was that in, guitar. Yeah, that was guitar. Yeah, yeah. actually, it came up on my Google feed the other day. Just the pictures of the, where we, some of the guys of the team cleaned the cleaned the start. Oh, line. really? That was that weekend. Guitar 04. I think it was. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, Cedo won it, and Max got a penalty because the other guys did the same as what we did. And I remember Valentino saying to him, that'll be the last race you ever beat me in. Said Ian, it was. Never did. Never beat him again. <laughs> oh, that's just, wow. <laughs> that's, that's motivation for you right there, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. Like and I think it wasn't, I think it might have been that same year when we had that big ding-dong with him in Jerez, the last corner. Yeah. You know? Actually, no, that was the start of the next year. Oh, was it? I feel. Yes, yeah, so, so pretty much carried on. From carried there, really. straight on. Yeah, yeah, that was. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty interesting when you think about the rivalries. Oh, huge rivalries, eh? Mm. Yeah, because that was, yeah, the. Qatar, did Qatar used to end this? It was always Valencia, but I'm pretty sure Jerez, that Jerez one was the start of 05, yeah. I think. And yeah, yeah. Wow, what a way to start a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was cause good racing. Yeah. I love going back and watching some of the races because you tend to, over this period of time, you tend to forget some of those races. Then yeah. you see them and you go, wow. Or like, think about Welcome, our first race here with Valentino, where we won and we won the title. Yeah. I look back to that and there's not, I watched it about six years ago and went, there's not one rider six years ago there was not one rider that was on the start line that was is actually still racing and, and, it's, been an, and it's been another six years so there's almost feels like two generations of riders mm. you know because marco melandri was racing and he yep. was you know younger than valentino yep. now he's gone and now you've got the fabios and yeah and morbidelli's and all those sort of things there's just i don't know it's just phenomenal thing that he's even still lining up you know when you've got so many people have come and gone oh yeah 100 percent, and and still com- heavily competitive still yeah. there you know yeah on, on on the right day when the stars align he's as good as anybody yeah 100 percent. it's yeah. it's cool like it's really really cool to see mm. now your your yamaha time like because you stayed at yamaha before valentino came obviously yeah carlos carlos was still there um and and max were there and i was still with carlos and to be honest i was uh, in those years with Carlos, I was still flying home a lot, and I'd be on the f- plane with Jeremy Burgess and Alex and Oh really? Dickie yeah. Smart would be on the plane, and they'd just yeah. rib me all the time about, "Oh, we beat you again." You, you know, like they give me a hard time, you know. Yeah. In a nice way, you know, not yeah. take it on the chin. It was the Australian no, way. Yeah, the Australian, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian way of driving down on a Kiwi. But anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was great banter, and and um, yeah, we were all pretty close. And I said, "You look after this ever a job down at Honda?" Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to go down and work there with you guys, you know. He goes, yeah, yeah well, if, some, if someone leaves, that's no problem. And it wasn't that much longer after that that JB contacted me and said, look, hey, um, 
don't go anywhere, don't sign anything right now. He said, it looks like we're coming to you. Wow. And at that point, you know, Mick had talked about it lots of times and, you know, nobody thought it was even feasible that any rider would leave Honda to go to Yamaha when we hadn't won for so long. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a big deal back then. That was a really big deal. So I, I um, JBC, look, he, they wanted to poach me because I was... Max was leaving and he was taking his position, so yep. I'd have to leave Carlos to go with Valentino. So that's what happened. I just moved across and they got another guy to work wow. for Carlos the last couple of years that he was there. So that, were, that must have been that was such a huge thing as an outside person. That must have been huge at the time when Valentino came across. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. I mean, because Honda it, had the kingdom. You know, they had the they had everything at that time. You know, they were just. Oh, total dominance. You think they had Teddy O'Carta, they had Mick Creville, Valley. Yeah. I mean, there's just a protege just of, a line. Of, of successful riders, you know. Yep. And whereas we were always pretty good, Yamaha, but never quite had it, you know. Yep. And uh, when Valentino came, it, it just changed everything. I mean, this, I think back to the the motivation behind everyone from the, from the very top, from the Japanese. And it was led from the Japanese, well... David Abrivio, he started it because nobody believed that that he could get Valentino to come to Yamaha. So really? he was a kingpin. Like, I mean, he's, if you have to point the finger at one person that made it happen, it was Davide. Wow. You know, so he's, he's got... He's got a stern career. He has. You, yeah. if, you th- if you're not just with Suzuki, but if you think back to what he got done, and, and I knew Davide and his brother from Superbikes because they, they ran the world Superbike team. Oh, did they? Yeah, with Noriyuki Haga and oh, Colin really? Edwards. Yeah. So I was with uh, Simon and Gobert at the time with the Kawasaki, and those guys were sort of next to us sometimes. So I got to know them through that. So is that the Santander Super? Probably. Uh, I'm not sure about Santander. Uh, I think they did have them as a sponsor, but yeah. I don't know who the main sponsor was. I think it was just basically Yamaha, Yamaha. sponsor. I think. Wow. But yes, yeah, so I got to know David from that, and then he was our team manager. But yeah, he he wow. he, he made it happen. You know, so if anyone wants to attribute the success story to Yamaha. A lot of it goes to Davide for sure. You know, getting Valentino, sure Valentino for having the Ghoulies to to walk away from yeah. Honda because he he'd had enough of them. And like you know, we everyone talks about how Honda believe they're the best at everything. Mm. So to walk away from it and, and join a company that didn't have the best bike for a long for a long way, but Yamaha stepped up to the plate. The their project leader was an insanely competitive and driven. Mm. You know, he, he moved mountains. To make really? that project right, you know, yep. And having JB, JB's experience in that, I, I remember the first test we transformed. We transformed that bike in the first test to make it a usable bike from where it struggling. You know, it was just JB's knowledge of what to do to a bike. You know, and and in hindsight, I think when we went to Ducati, we thought we were going to be able to do a similar sort of thing. Yeah, you know that success success story of rolling it over. Yeah, yeah like. Yeah, with the, with enough experience and people wanting to do it, unfortunately, it didn't happen. But certainly made it happen with the Yamaha. Yeah, it was it was huge. And Honda, they didn't let Valentino test the end no, of season, no, did they? No. So you guys had to wait till yeah. February or whatever to do yeah, the yeah, first well, test. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he had to sit that out. Wow. So you, from February to whenever South Africa began, it was just work, work, work. I'm guessing. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it was, and we. The, the bike was good, but we didn't feel like it was good enough, you know, with what they'd done. They changed the engine. The engine engine changed the bike a lot. Like, I mean, that's... 
and Valentino was just so determined. Like when we, when we got there, I thought, well, if we roll out of here and have a pretty good result, we can build because we've got to build on it through the whole year. Yeah. But to go there and and just just beat everybody the first oh. race, I mean. I don't know how many times I've been interviewed about, you know, the highlights of your career and which race and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, I'd say 99% of anybody that's worked with Valentino would always say welcome. Yeah. The other one is Philip Island when well, I wasn't with him then. It was with Honda when he got the penalty, yellow flag penalty, and he had a 10-second penalty or something. Mm. That's cool. And he went from, I don't know, he had to win by 20 seconds or something. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that was another impressive one. Because that was the last year, I think, of Honda. Yeah. He yeah. Has 03. Yeah. 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 So, for me, it was the year that you joined um, with Valentino. It was the 04 Phillip Island. Yeah. Where it was him and Jibbenau. Yeah. And it was just a battle of two people and no one else was on the track. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. That was that was pretty cool. Yeah. Know? So, um, yeah, it's been some, been some memories, I guess, along, along the way. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to go back and sort of replace snippets of it and see it, you know, because... I remember a lot of it, yep. a lot of it I've forgotten. Yep. And you and you only have to see a video clip or something of it and it reminds you, jot your memory of it again of it. Yep. But yeah, no, some some great times. I've got we've got plenty of videos to watch, haven't I? For sure. How's the um how was the travel back then? Like travel travel until this year. Travel's become a lot easier, you know, over the years. How was it back then travelling around the world? Yeah, it was sure, sure was easier because it it wasn't until nine eleven that it it got difficult really. Yep. I remember clearly, you know, all the security that yeah, we ne- we ne- we never had. Yeah, I remember my first trip to. Oh God, this makes me sound old. My first trip to Italy when I worked with Simon. Yep, had to fly to Europe and I went through America. And I remember sitting in the middle of the plane in economy, and at the back was the smoking section. Now, can you even Can't get in it. your head no. being able to be on an airplane smoking and no. it was allowed? Not <laughs> and how do you separate the smoke and how yep. dangerous that was? Now you can't smoke in your yard. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that gives you a sort of hindsight of, yep. you know, of what it was like back then. But, yeah, the travel was – when I first went over with the Subox, I, I pretty much spent the whole year over there. Mm. And then when the, the MotoGP and stuff like that, we, used, we still used to spend a lot more time over there. I'd be over there for like a t- couple of months and we'd travel around. We'd just drive, and actually, we drove through all the races pretty much. We had at least cars, and we'd drive, and yep. in between the races, we'd stop off and go windsurfing, and you know, see see the see Europe, and it was great for that. And um, so there's a lot less travel, and as and we used to go back to the workshop to do the rebuilds and stuff, and then progressively got to the point where everyone realised that it's cheaper to do the work on at the circuit. You know, everybody can yep. be home longer, don't have to get everybody to the workshop. And so it just transformed to that. So it was, it sort of became fly in and fly out, basically. Wow. So would, I'd always fly on a Tuesday, get there on, tu- or I'd leave her on a Monday, get there on a Tuesday, and Tuesday night, work Wednesday, you know, sitting up in the garage and everything, work on the bikes Thursday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday racing, and then fly home Monday. If I didn't stay in Europe. Yep. But yeah, all the security and all that sort of stuff changed, changed things a lot, you know. But the offside to that is. More more companies flying Emirates in the last ten years. We flew with Emirates all the time, so you could get anywhere in Europe in two flights. Very easy. Prior to that, we'd fly British Airways and Qantas, so you'd have to go to Singapore, London, and then somewhere in Europe. So it was half a day longer. Wow. So there's been changes in in all ways, but it's, you know, evolution. So is that the way it's going? Say the last say the last ten years, you'd come home on a Monday or something. Like say if it's uh, say if you had. Two weeks or three weeks in between races. Yeah. Would you come home? Yeah. You would. 
often I'd come home if there was a week off. Really? Yeah. Yeah, a lot. It depends what the calendar was. If I was going to be away for two or three weeks, or there was no time, or they had a test. If I there was two races in a week off, and there was a test, and then another race, yep. well, I'd stay over there because there's no time to come home. But so if that was the case, I might come home. Often I would fly home and be home for five days. Yeah, I would get home on a Tuesday night or Wednesday morning, and then would fly out Wednesday Monday night again. So I would do that a lot. Yes, and. Um, was, we were lucky enough we had a really good contracts with Yamaha you had to, to fly, fly us home yep. and a lot of the flights were business class so it made it easy for sure and uh, yeah it was because everyone you know JB we, everyone had families yeah. and it's just way too hard to pack up everybody and send them over there and we, everyone sort of kind of got used to the, the travel part of it just you just factor it in you just, it was never a, oh geez, I've got to fly home now you just, what it is yeah I mean I remember leaving Sunday night sometimes driving for three or four hours to catch a midnight flight out of somewhere, you know, yep. to get home. It's yeah. so funny, like it's, like you're just going to work. Yeah, yeah. Aren't you? Really, it's, um, yeah, I'm going to work, but it might be anywhere, but that's what you're doing. And and to be honest, that's, a, I mean, you, you take away all the glitz and glam. Yep. It's, you're just going to work because you're just going there and the same people are there, the same trucks are there, you yep. go inside the garage. These are my work same, friends. Same, same, same walls. Yep. I mean, often I've walked out of the garage and just forgotten exactly even where I was, what country I was in. Really? Yeah, because you were in there and you're just in your zone. And you've done it 400 times. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's just, yeah you just you walk just, in there and you pack up, wash your hands and get grab yep. your backpack out of the truck and just go... You sort of give yourself a second take to think, yep. you know, what country you're in because your work environment is the same as it was last week and the week before and the year before and the year before that. Because it's replicated. That's the, every, yeah, yeah. You know, you want your tools in the same place. Oh, want, every, everything's going to be the same because it's got to be the same. No, exactly. It's for a method. A, yeah, yeah, yep. exactly. It's, it's got to come second nature and, yep. and unfortunately those other parts be, become part of it, you know. Yeah. And it's not until you, you leave and you drive and you just go, oh, yeah, okay. We were going for dinner tonight, boys, if you're yep. already, you know, you're going to have the local cuisine. and Yeah. So, no, it's very interesting times. What's um, what's been a good place? What's one of the best places? Whew, that's a tricky one because everywhere's got something about it you like, and it wasn't until this last year yeah. where we were really restricted with those five months where we'd, when we finished work, we'd just go back to the hotel and we'd have hotel food because yeah. we they didn't want us going out into the outside of the bubble, and it really hit home to all of us how much we enjoy the fact that when you finish work, you go home and have a shower guys might go for a run and go to the gym then you'll go out into town and live that part of the country the life you know and it was quite that was a that's a huge part that we missed you know this Mm. last year and we were all going Jesus it just doesn't feel half as enjoyable because you can't enjoy where you are wow but you can go you can go to Japan and I love Japan because it's so different you know a lot of places in Europe are very similar Although the language is different, but it's not culturally different. You know, like Spain and Italy, very, you know, all those countries are very similar. I love going to places that are really different. I mean, I love going to, when you go to Argentina, even though Argentina, where we go, is in the middle of nowhere, there's such a difference in lifestyle. You've got people driving around the latest Hiluxes, and then right behind it is a family and a horse and buggy, donkeys wow. and donkeys and cart, you know with kids and stuff and you just go wow yeah that's that's a transition that you 
even with traveling around the world for 20 years, you, you have to have a second take at. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. things like that. And, you, and as sad as it is that there's such an extreme, that's what makes it a beautiful place to go and see sometimes, you yep. know. But I mean, I always love going to different countries. Like, you know, this last year we went to, back to Portugal, Portimao, which we mm. haven't been to Portugal for probably 10 years. And I mean, it's great going to back to countries like that. I, I just love going to, I mean, I love going to America. I've always loved going to America, Indianapolis, Austin. Laguna. I mean, they all, they all, yeah, Laguna. I mean, that's, Laguna's probably one of the most, from mechanics and everybody in the teams, if you said, look, of all the trucks we don't go to, which one would you like to go to back? I guarantee everyone will say Laguna Seca. You know, staying at Camp, at, um, Monterey. Monterey and on the coast there. It's just beautiful and everyone likes to go to America pretty much, you know. Yeah, Whether you admit it or not, everyone likes to go there to go so to the shopping and <laughs> the food and all. There's, there's something about it. It's got a lifestyle. Yeah. You know, it's love, got love, it, love it or hate it. Yep. Everyone, everyone wants to go there. Everyone wants to go there. Those Laguna Seca years were yeah, unreal. Incredible, yeah. yeah. They were great. Yeah, yeah. We, had, we had some good times in Indianapolis. Not the same results and it's not as spectacular as, as um, Laguna Seca, but yeah, it was, it was great that we ended up getting back to America because we, for so many years, we, did, yeah. we weren't there, and then we had, you know, two races there. Yeah, it was it was huge, and it was yeah. it was good to see. We we went over to in your Ducati time. We went yep. to Laguna Seca. Oh yeah. So what's that? Eleven and it was eleven and twelve. Yeah. And, yeah. and like, what a what a place! And yeah, as a as a spectator, it was a great a great circuit. You know, I think going to Laguna Seca is like going to Donington. You know, you can get a massive view of the circuit. Yep. From one vantage Any point, given point. yeah. Even though the, the weather's completely, completely opposite, different, polar opposites. <laughs> well, I must say, Laguna Seca of a morning. Yeah, <laughs> foggy. It feels very, um, yeah. It's kind of eerie, isn't it? It's weird because that that fog just hangs there just hangs. in the hills, and you never know. You're just thinking, oh, is it ever going to get sunny? And then all of a sudden, bang. Yeah, as a fair skin person, it's pretty damn <laughs> real. Um, have you ever been a spectator? Yeah, I have this year. Me and Alex, when Valentino had COVID. Went on the other side of the fence. Yeah, and uh, that was probably, that's probably one of the first times in 20 years I've been out on the circuit. Really? Yeah, and it, that felt really, we jumped on the scooter and rode around and it was, it was great to see, but you get so locked into watching a monitor and seeing the progression of everybody, lap times, section times and stuff. I missed that. Wow. You know, I missed seeing what people are doing rather than seeing what they're doing because you're watching two corners if you're lucky. Realistically, you can't you can't see what's going on. Yep. You, you can't, not in the big picture. No. And you might be lucky enough to see someone make a pass or make a crash, but, you know, I, to be honest, I prefer being in the garage watching the monitor so I can see what's happening on TV and seeing, you know, the progression that people are making. Or You can understand so much more. People got new tyres, they've gone on an outlap, you know, what they're doing things like that and that's just that's just through so many years of trying to understand what you're doing and how you're trying to get ahead with the bike you know you're you're watching them on monitors trying to make a judgment is he going to come in and jump on the other bike because he hasn't gone quicker on that and you know what you've done to it yep many little things you know that you just pick up that you don't realize you're picking up and but yeah being a spectator it was good but i'd rather be in the garage working on the bike. straight away yeah. yep yeah i'd rather be there on the heart of it that's cool yeah as a um as a mechanic, what's 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 your job? Like, say, do you have a suspension person come to you and say, um, we need two more clicks of rebound, or well, how does that work? They obviously Valentino would come in with a debrief, yeah, and and what happens? Well, he come into the Gary, I grab the bike, bring it in, we'll yep. we'll put stands on, put the tire warmers on, 
he'll go and sit down and then he'll start talking. There'll be a um, the crew chief, the data engineer that's the European one. There'll be a suspension technician, maybe the tyre technician because he, he bumps around between the two riders. And there'll be at least two or three Japanese engineers and they'll just talk about what's going on. The, the suspension guy, he'll, he'll make all the changes. If he wants the forks out, the shock out, we do it all. Mm-hmm. Very rarely, unless he's under the pump doing something, will we change fork springs or things like that. Because we've got one suspension guy just for Valley, so you know, nine times out of ten, yeah. he's, he's got time. So that's his job? That's his job, yep. yeah. Yeah, analyzing. He analyzes a lot of data and stuff like that, you know, comparing the year before, the you know, the session before, all that sort of stuff. So he's pretty busy just in data stuff as well. So, But yeah, he does that, so we don't do much of that. It's, it's like geometry changes, uh, head collars, offset of, you know, uh, ride heights, shocks, springs, gearing, gearboxes, maintenance. They just, you know, they, they might be talking for half an hour and you're sort of twiddling your thumbs, cleaning the cowlings, you know, got the fuel tanks off, waiting for that, doing a little bit of stuff with the tyres or anything. Then they'll go, okay, we need uh, head collars on both bikes, which means forks out all the triple clamps out all that and two gearboxes so then you got to so then it's just chaos for like an hour and a half you know yep. just like that so you, both gearboxes out and then you got to go in the truck and because the gearbox is really complicated now so they take a fair bit of time you can't I say can't rush them but you just got to be really particular with them wow so you know you, you can be sitting around for 10 minutes doing nothing and then balls to the wall until you know you got to start the bike we always start the bike half an hour before the session so that's our that's our crunch point half an hour before the yep. session starts warm the bikes up go out bring them back in take the top transport tires out put the proper tires in and any last checks so yeah the day rolls on pretty quickly if you if they mess around with this decision making it can you know yeah make you busy but yeah it came back to your, your the question about what we do there's three mechanics and we pretty much do we can all do what's necessary to be done we yep. don't one guy, um, Bernie, uh, he was a Belgian guy. He, I'd say, he did ninety percent of the gearboxes. Mm. If he, if we were busy, I'd try and do one at least every weekend on the Thursday, yep. just to keep my hand a little bit, so that if I had to do it, I'm. It can be done. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, you, you, the guy that's doing it, it's, it's. I'd say it's almost better that either one guy does or two guys do it, and they do it all the time because you, you can't. It needs to be second nature, totally. You know. Wow. you don't want to be thinking about it too much because there's so many moving parts inside the gearbox now so he'd do a lot of that but you know some weekend, some weekends you'd only change two or three gearboxes sometimes you do six eight ten you know because you do one might be an experimental one for the session so then when he comes back you might do the other one or you go back with that one the next morning you might do both so and every time you change the an engine obviously a gearbox comes out because that gearbox is is a gearbox that's got mileage on it so you that goes in the engine. The yeah. gearbox doesn't stay with that engine. Right. So, you know, you're always doing stuff like that. So, no, there's, there's always plenty to do, but you, everyone, and if there's something needs doing, you just grab what you want to do and do it. And the yeah. other guy does the other thing. There's no hard and fast rules. Some people are better at doing some things than others. Yep. And you, you just gravitate towards that, but it doesn't mean to say you're the only one that does it. Wow, it's huge. Crash, crash times is when you, you really come into your forte, you know, yeah. and that's, ask most mechanics that's the it's the worst time or it's the best time yeah when you have a big crash because you're under the pump that's why you're getting paid the money yeah you know you you've got 
completely destroyed bike and you've got two hours to build a new one because you, your objective is always have two bikes. Mm. Under, I mean, I don't think we've ever, that I remember, started a session where we haven't had two complete bikes, even if the one was written off in the middle of the session. So that's your prime, prime objective is to have two bikes. So you just, you know, first of all, bike comes in, you've got to weigh up. Okay, what have we got here? Do we wow. need to take the chassis out or can we touch it up enough to get by? Just things like that. You've got to make calls straight away. It's never the Japanese that make those calls. Really? They'll, they'll be there. Yep. Because they've they got no real That's a con- concept of time yep. and getting things done, you know, because you've got to prioritise. Yep. Some things are important. They might look crappy on the track, but if you don't forget about that, you're not going to get the other stuff done. It's a different skill set. It, it totally, yeah, totally. Yep. They're, they're, they're good at analysing stuff and... You know, sucking through their teeth and thinking about <laughs> stuff and not getting stuff done, whereas yep. we'll be already pulling things apart and trying to find the problem or something. You know, so there's a different mindset with Europeans, Kiwis, Australians. They just you're already thinking about what the problem is and how you're going to fix it yep. quickly. You know, I see that really clear with you know when you see how the Japanese work. Oh wow! Hmm. When you go to a race meeting, two chassis, or is there is is there more chassis? What do you mean? Well, you always start with two bikes. Two, two complete bikes, but is there a spare chassis or something? Oh, you know, there's multiple, multiple, multiple chassis, sure. Yeah? Yeah, okay. multiple chassis from what you're running and multiple types of chassis that you can run. So I'd probably say the spare parts guy would have at least four to six chassis in the truck. We can build easily four complete new bikes with what we've got there. Every weekend? Oh, we have enough parts there to yep. build four complete bikes minimum. Yeah. And some parts you'd have enough to do 20, you know, because some parts are high turnover, some aren't. Yep. Swing arms would have various styles and, you know, there'd be easily 10 swing arms in the truck in one time. Man, it's crazy. The, the, part, the parts, to be <laughs> honest, the parts guy is one guy that you cannot do without. Yeah. Mechanics can have a be sick and have half day off or miss a test because yeah. they couldn't arrive, miss a flight. You take the parts guy out of the uh, equation. Doesn't work. And it, and it was like that a little bit a few times last year because of COVID because he had to stay out of uh, Europe for a little bit longer because of the Schenken rules. So he'd turn up on the, you know on the Thursday and we'd already worked on the Wednesday. So it was <laughs> it was Catch a bit up. hard us pulling through drawers trying to find the right parts. So wow. So yeah. Some people got, you know, are really important in the team, and others are just important. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's like a, a scale, <laughs> pretty much. Man, like, you know, um, been a fan for a long time, but that's something I, I didn't realise about the amount of chassis and stuff. I, I thought, with the rules, I thought you have your two bikes, yeah. and that's what you got to start and finish your weekend off. But no, chassis are one of the things that are open. Engines, yeah. are, engines, uh, engine are the things that are, are fixed. They're fixed, yeah. Everything around it. Bodywork has to be homologated, and you're you're yep. pretty much set with one or two styles of that. But chassis are open, same with swing arms and stuff like that, yep. brakes, all that sort of stuff. You can do what you want with that. So you've got an endless amount of things you can change for that. And quite often you'll have. I mean, I know, for example, in in the last year, the three top riders in Yamaha had three different chassis. Really? Hmm? Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy, isn't it? It is, yeah, and it's a personal preference. A little bit, yeah, Mar will bring one. They don't, they don't want it that way. No, I mean, it makes more sense to have everybody on the same, yep. just for evolution. 
but riders jump on one and they think it's better and they stick with that and then you know quite often they'll go two races and go oh okay the other guy's faster than me and you know they're all uh, sensitive to things like that the riders they see someone go quicker than they'll say wonder what they're having regardless of the fact that they chose what they got it must get in your head oh it's a, it's a head game for sure yep. for those guys as well you know yeah definitely we only have to look at what happened at the end of the season with Morbidelli he had the old bike yeah and he was fast and everybody so everyone's questioning what they're on you know but at the end of the day they, they're riding what they chose so he looked really good eh he was he He's a, he was one of the highlights of the season for sure. Definitely. Took, it, took a little bit longer to get used to the bike, but, you know, Fabio, Fabio jumped on it and was quick, and Frankie took a little bit longer, but then I think Frankie's the more consistent for sure. Yeah, he looked fantastic, yeah, you know, yeah. closing out the season and that. I think we have a great, great season, you know, 21. I reckon. Yeah. Tell me this, in 03, you had Max Biaggi in your box, then mm-hmm. 04, Valentino comes in. Yeah. But you've got two total different characters. Yeah. How, like Valentino at that time is just one from the Honda stuff and that. Yeah. How was he at the start? He was he was great. He, I mean, he was really welcoming. I remember we went to the workshop and it was the first time I'd met him actually. Yeah. He, him and Ucho and the, his manager and that turned up there and walked up and introduced himself. And we, just everyone a was, Yeah, just, you know, you, you, we all see these superstars on TV and think they're like gods. But if you want to be grounded by somebody that's normal, go and meet Valentino on a, a non-race day or, you know, yeah. when you don't see him on a set of leathers. Just you know, he's just, he's more normal than you and me. Wow. Really. It's cool, eh? <laughs> and Dress is more normal yeah. than you and me. <laughs> you it's know, he's, he's just, he's, he's just, just one of the boys, really. Yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible to think that he's managed to keep that demeanour mm. throughout his career when, with what he's done, you know, how popular he is. It's a, it's a credit to him, really. Yeah, definitely. And, and the people around him, because he, he understands that to be normal, you've got to be surrounded by normal. Yeah. Because you, you you see all the superstars, pop stars and stuff, and you think, wow. Doesn't go see, that you, good. You, you can see why they're not normal, because look, look who they're hanging with, That's you know, right. that sort of thing. So it's, it's a credit. There's, there's a lot of people out there like that, and there's a lot of people that probably aren't. Just you're a reflection of who you're around. Oh, yeah, sure. You? you know? And that, and that rubs off on how we are with them, you know? Yeah. I mean, you can just be totally honest with them all the time and, you know, joke around with them and it doesn't... He's, he's, but put that aside, super, super professional. Mm. You know, like his, his rituals and what he does to get where he got is second to none. Yep. You know, you don't get to be that good without dedication and time put in, you know? So, uh, yeah. It must feel good on your side, um you know, especially at the start, like, you know, you know you've got a rider that's dedicated. Yeah. You know, like, you, you know, if you do your job right and I cross every T, dot every I, yeah. you know that they're going to do it as well. That must feel good too, hey? Oh, totally, because I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of guys out there that they're riding around, but they're not, you know, they could probably give a lot more with Valley. You knew that he was, yeah. you know, if it, if it didn't happen, there was a reason for it not happening, you know, the, the results, you know. And we didn't have the best at the beginning. We didn't have the best bike. I mean, lots of times during the, his career, we didn't have the best. Mm. Now I just I, I can't even think of the years that I thought you know our bike is superior to everybody's. I don't really remember that time whether we did, you know, because we're still competing against a Honda. Yeah. You know, and um, but he he, ma- he made the difference really. Yeah. He really, he really did, he, because I don't think if Max had stayed, whether Max would have got those results that we did, even with the development that we had on the engine. And wow. the bike, you know, because I think, you know, Valentino was next level. 
he was the thing. Yeah, he was the he was the that that little percent I guess that was needed. Yeah. And and to be honest, we're talking about Max compared to Valentino. Max was 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 nice enough, but he always had an if I'd like if I could say that he always had an ulterior motive. He'd talk to you but he wanted he wanted something from you, information or, or you know you couldn't he wasn't a square shooter. You know, you, you you've never felt like he was talking to you because he thought you were a great guy. Wow. But nice enough in saying that, you know, I, personally I haven't got a beef against him, you know, but completely different character. Yep. Yeah. Whereas Valentino, different story. If what's coming out, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the story. You know, yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Now, <laughs> going to, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, Jorge comes in at some time. Yeah. How was it when the wall came up? Did that change anything from a mechanics side of things? No, no, nothing, nothing you at got, all. You're a crew, you know, like it's still a team. Like, yeah, I mean, you've got the, to be mates, I'm guessing, eh? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the the the, the friendship you have with the guys, the other mechanics, because there's all those days that you're working, that you're working together. You know, sitting up the garage, doing yeah. stuff like that, building bikes, and the wall, the way I remember it, just got blown out of context and if I, I could be I could be wrong about this but yep. I think at some point it was a little bit to do with tyres right but I mean the media always blow too much out of it I do. and I think the wall was probably way un, wasn't necessary it was, it was an overkill to everything and then everyone got on the bandwagon of it but you know the engineers still talk together I mean, it would go around behind the wall because there's a gap there because yeah. you've got to get out. Yep. And would still, you know, would still go over there and talk to the mechanics. It's not like, you know, it was still tab- business taboo or anything. It was just more a visual thing. Yeah. It was completely unnecessary and it didn't change anything the way I saw it. Because that was around the time of the Bridgestone Michelin thing, wasn't it? Yeah. So that sort of changed over yep, period. Exactly, yeah, at the same time. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. Everyone's, you know, it's good something. People was something to talk about. Thank goodness that was before social media becomes such a big thing, <laughs> eh? Seriously, like yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can imagine. Oh, it's just changed. It's changed the sport in a in a way. Like it's driven a lot of positive. It's probably got a lot of new people to the sport. Yeah, but at the same time, there's some things on there. You're like, oh, really? You know, does it need to be like that? So yeah, no, there's there's a, there's a lot of negative to it. But I know it's kind of necessary in a in a business side of it. But as far as like people commenting about things they probably don't need to comment yeah. about it's, it's easy when you're behind a keyboard isn't it oh much easier <laughs> yeah much easier you know, so yeah there's, there's plus and minus for all that sort of stuff so that era like that was a, that was a really cool era coming from the 990s into 800s yeah how how was that was that a big change for you no not a big change at all really? not, not from what we did not from your side of the world no yeah and when and when you think about the reasoning unless i, I understood it wrong they wanted to try and slow things down a little bit but that was a futile. That was a yeah a futile effort right from the word go because you only have to look at the corner speed of the two oh. fifties and stuff compared to the MotoGP bikes. They go in the corners as fast as we do. So yep. making a bike that had a smaller engine that was lighter, how was that going to make us slower? Made no sense. Not at all. No. Uh, and and our lap times were not that much different. We just spent a whole heap more money on development to get the same sort of power out of a eight hundred. Yeah, made the things rev harder, went through engines faster. So. Yeah, I mean, there's, a re- there's a reason we went back the other way, back to 1,000, because thousand. it didn't work. Nah, because the corner speed, you know, it was just massive, hey? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, that was, it was, it was, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were drinking when they thought 
Can oh, there would have been something. <laughs> <laughs> when, when um, okay, so two thousand, say two thousand and ten. Mm-hmm. What sort of time does it take, like, to Ducati starts popping up on the radar? Obviously, yeah. yeah. Does like you're working with Jeremy Burgess at the time? Mm. Does he come to you and say, "Hey, we we might be looking at doing something"? Or how does that work? Like, how does it work? It's it's amazing because you'd think there'd be a lot of discussion about it. Valentino keeps a lot to himself. You know, he doesn't come out and say, yep. "Hey, guys, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think?" He's he's never done that. Okay. He just, you'll hear a bit of a rumour, won't be much to it. Then he'll say, I'm going to Ducati. I want you guys to come. It'd be like that. Just I've, simple done, I've done a deal. Yeah. You can come if you want. There's spaces for you. You just negotiate with them directly what you want, what you need yep. to go there, you know. And it was like that. You don't have to go, but I want you to come. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And that, just simple. Yeah. And... I guess we all thought, Oof, after you know all that time in in uh, in Yamaha and on those titles. I guess Valentino deep down really wanted to win on three manufacturers. That that must have been his driving force. The, eh? the driving force for it, yeah. yeah. And um, I guess like little puppets, we went along with it. We thought we could do it as well. And and JB. Ucho didn't think it was a great idea. Really? <laughs> no, he he tried to talk Valentino out of it. You know, and uh, that came out later on once we'd started the season, realised that we had an uphill battle. But, you know, kudos to him for hanging in there. I'm, I'm sure he, he would have tried to get out of it at the contract earlier than he did if he could have, but he couldn't. Yep. So he's there for two years. So that was, that was, it was interesting, frustrating. That, that had everything in it, you know. Mm. No success as such. Lots of crashes, lots of. We had a lot of ambition to do th- better things, you know, but it just they just got s- stopped so often. In saying that, we, we weren't able to change the bike like we thought, but they didn't seem to want to change it either. Yeah. You know, it was just everything that got met with like a bit of a brick wall, you know. And it's, it's kind of disappointing that like three or four years after we left there, they, they changed it a lot and got some success mm. pretty much. Yeah, because when we were going there, everyone was crashing on the bike. Everybody was crashing on it. And then it got to the point where pretty much no one was crashing on it. So they made a big improvement. So I don't know whether a lot of the information we had finally filtered down because the guy that was in charge of it left. Yeah. So I don't know the politics of that, but yeah, it, was, it was pretty frustrating, but good experience. I met one of the mechanics that I worked for for the last eight years was there, and he was the mechanic that stayed there as our liaison sort of thing. When I was at Yamaha, all the Honda guys came and I stayed there with the Yamaha. Yeah. And then when we went to Ducati, one of the other guys, he's American guy, he stayed there. Then we managed to drag him back with us when we came back to Yamaha. So in that sense, it was something really good came out of that because cool. he got out of Ducati and now he's still in the factory team. So. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. He's a really nice guy. What did it change in your, in your day-to-day life? Was it, were they similar bikes actually to work on? Much more complicated. Really? Yeah, much more complicated and the Yam- processes. I, I, yeah, with the, with the Yamaha, when when Valentino came to Yamaha, the bike was, I'd say, messy. You know, it took it took a lot to make the thing safe for races. You know, with tire, zip ties and stuff like that, holding everything off, yep. things that could rub through, and and in a period of like two years, we we 
Yamaha just transformed that. The bike became super safe, easy to work on, lots of full race bike. You know, I felt like our bike was some stages was a bit of a test bike. And then when we went to Ducati, then you really realised how good our bike was. Even though over a period of time our bike sort of slipped away a little bit and wasn't quite as user-friendly. But when we went to Ducati, there was a lot of stuff on there that was difficult to work on. You know, just over-engineered? Over over-engineered and not thought out very well. You know, they'd have all the bolts and stuff are odd sizes, yeah. you know, like big triple cram. Tri- triple crown nuts would normally be 27 or 30 or anything else that theirs would be like 25 or 26 and you just go why and they go well we had the we had the stuff in this in the warehouse you know it's just wow. a logical reasoning for some stuff because trust me race bike race bikes race cars race anything has to be simple keep it simple stupid yep and that's how it is if you're making everything bits and bobs that go on it make them the same size bolt that you use on everything so you don't have to pick up five tools to do a job you'd you'd be changing something on the brake as an example this is one we always use because it was the wackiest thing <laughs> to rebuild a foot foot peg assembly with a brake and all that stuff you needed like 23 tools to do it really yeah yeah we, and it just and on the MA you could do it with like five you know just so many silly things that yeah. could have been better and and honestly, when we went there, because all the guys from Honda had already been at Yamaha, and they had the knowledge from, and, and they brought a lot of knowledge from Yamaha, Honda to Yamaha that Yamaha used, and and going to Ducati, they Ducati could have made a a great bike, like a, may not have had the best results, but it could have been a really user friendly bike by yep. taking all the information from the mechanics. But really didn't have that much interest in it all, to be honest. Wow. Because yeah. you think they'd be able to refine it so much with that experience. Yeah, they could, but they didn't really take the advantage on doing it. I mean, I think a lot of things, when they changed the chassis in the later years after we left, a lot more things became more normal. But I look at the bike and it's still some pretty complicated stuff on it. Wow. But that's, you know, Ducati, uh, they like to push the envelope. Well, you only have to look at the aer- aerodynamics and, you know, the, how the wings develop. And all sure. That. You yep. know, they're always at the forefront of trying something new and sometimes it's... You can put all this stuff on, but at some stage you've got to make it make it user friendly. Yeah, mm. and and like you said, you have got to keep things simple too. Yeah, yeah, know? sure, yeah. And I guess the same thing happened with when you went to go back to Yamaha. Valentina must have come in and said, "Hey, we're going back to Yamaha. You up to you if you want to stay." Or yeah, I think we, everyone was ready to go back at that point. We yep. were we were really lucky enough that. Yamaha made positions for us to go back because Valentino at that point was he was very thankful that um that he got a, that he got a chance to come back. Yep. And and so were we. And it was a little bit harder for him when he uh, came back. He thought he was going to come back and jump on the bike and be where we were. But yep. you know Lorenzo was there then, and it really took him 18 months to get back up to speed on the bike when he came back. It looked like you know, as an outsider that that had changed so much in that time too. That two years. Things look different. I think so, and I think because um, Valentino probably had control of the development sort of thing, and with him gone, things sort of lent the way towards Lorenzo, which, you know, naturally. Yep. And things changed a little bit, because I think when he came back, the bike was a little bit different chassis-wise and things like that, so Valley's really good at developing stuff. I'm not sure how I'd class Lorenzo as developing something for the better, he can jump on and say, yeah, it is better or it's not, but 
to say what he actually wants to go faster, I don't think it's quite the same level because, you know, when we came back, I don't think the bike was as quite as good as it was when we left. No, because when you left, it seemed like a bike that people could get on and ride yep. really well. Yeah. When it was the second time around, it looked different. You know, that, that's my own perspective. I don't know if it's right, but it didn't look like it something that others could get on and be fast. Yeah, no, it wasn't wasn't quite as easy yep. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And uh, so yeah, mid two thousands must have been a, like two thousand tens, fifteens, whatever. Yeah, that was a good time too. No, no, it was. It, I think we um, we kind of expected more because yeah. you know we think the success we had up until we went to uh, Ducati. I honestly thought we were going to come back and and probably be able to replicate what we had done, sort of thing. Yeah. But uh, we came back and we sort of we had chances to get there. But never really got there, you know. It was a lot, lot, lot harder than we thought. So yeah, it just took a lot, you know, a lot to get used to the bike, and yep. and I think in a little bit of time we managed to um, change the bike a little bit more, Valentino's way with his influence. Yeah, okay, mm. pushing that through. Mm. Now you were, how long did you spend with Jeremy? Twelve years. What year did he finish? Fifteen. Did he, did he finish in fifteen? Fifteen, maybe. Geez, I don't know. There were, it might have even been earlier, 14 maybe, 14 maybe. I, I can't remember, but yeah, t- 10 years at least, yeah. That must have been a good, um, you know, role model, whatever you call it, like that must have been a good oh, influence. That, that, it, it was great, it, it really was. I, he calls a spade a spade. Yeah. You know, we, we had moments when we, we clashed, yeah. with, you know, not just me with all the, all the guys thing, but we got the job done and we were there to win races and, and that was that at any cost sort of thing, you know, like, I mean, not, not any cost, but we put that in the forefront, yeah. you know, and JB was great at um, rationalising things that were going on around us, like he'd put a priority on uh, things that needed to be handled for us to win races, whereas everybody else was trying to worry about the PR side of it, and he goes, trust me, that ain't going to happen if we can't do this, you know, we, we're yep. going racing, to win races, and that's that's my priority. That's our priority. Yep. All that other stuff is secondary. Mm. You know, and he was great at doing that. And he had conflict with a lot of people. I mean, he was so honest that, you know, I guess sometimes he he rubbed people up the wrong way. But that was JB. He, he called it how he saw it. You know, yep. and I mean, he didn't win all those titles, all those people, by chance. I no. mean, that, that's a t- one talented man you got there. You know, and people that didn't respect him for his, what he'd done were. Silly them. That's right. Yeah, no. It, and I think, uh, like like yourself as well. Like you don't keep your job in a sport like that if you don't have respect or knowledge. You know, like it, he had a job in from eighty two to two thousand and fifteen or whatever in the premier class of motorsport. Yeah. You don't keep in there if you, unless you're good. You know. No, and um, to be honest, um, Alex would agree with me. We were fortunate enough to spend a lot of time with him and. And the things that I learned, you just can't learn in a, in a book or a magazine or anything. Really? Working there with JV and the logic to everything, and everything was logical. It's not. He was old. He was old school. He'd, he'd look at the computer and, but he'd listen to the writer, and and go on his gut instincts and and back up his thoughts with the computer. Whereas if I if I unbiasedly compare how it works now. Everybody looks at the computer and make the decision on the computer. They don't listen to the writer enough and have enough knowledge to make a judgment call on that. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the the data side of it seems to have taken over the, I know, the, the thought process of how things get done, you know, and I, and I think that's, there's a detrimental side to that, there really is, because I, in the, in the later years, everyone was spending so much time on the computer, and then they'd get so lost and they wouldn't even do anything relative to what the writer was complaining about, you know, and we get lost too easy. Um, yeah, there's it, it was fun times. It really was. He's a, he's a funny funny guy. Can be super serious, but super hard worker. Yep. Yeah. Good work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great. That, and I guess with with what you're saying there, that really resonates with the can have a terrible day, sad day. Then all of a sudden, your team would come out on Sunday, warm up would be a different bike. Yeah. You've listened to the rider. You know, like. Nowadays it's harder, I guess, to do it with all the data and that. But yeah. so many times over those, you know, four, 2004 to 10, you'd see Valentino come out on a Sunday and it'd be, it's... Yeah, I, it's, I, I think about those days when, you know, the, the big yeah. thing with Valentino, you know, never write him off because come Sunday he'll be the it'd race be, guy. And even with the, in the later years when uh, even with the, so much more data being yep. used and all that sort of stuff, he was always a better racer than he was a, at practising. I mean, he... He's not one of those guys that goes out there and rides 10 tenths on a free practice too, you know? Yep. And as, as he got older, it was harder for him to to, to, to be as quick as those guys on yep. one lap, you know? And that's just, that's human nature. He's got to happen. He's 41 and they're 21. Yep. So that's always going to happen. But I mean, come come race day, he was always the guy that would have extra in his pocket. Some guys are Monday heroes. Mm. You know, some guys, you have a test on Monday they might have finished like 10th on Sunday and they'll be the fastest on Monday. Valentino was never that guy. Yep. He put everything on a Sunday. It was, there, was the day. important day, you know, and he'd be a second and a half slow on Monday because yep. he knows that the importance wasn't there. That, and that's the crazy thing about pre-season test. Oh, you see yeah. a rider come out to the pre-season test and they've just blitzed and it's yep. happened in the last few years and you're like, yep. wow, their, their season's going to have to be good. Yeah, yeah. But come first six rounds, they're nowhere. That's, that's clearly a pressure thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, some people deal with it better than others and, and although some... They don't look like they're suffering from it. They do. It's know? there. Yeah, it's there. And uh, the results show. But Valentino, you know, I mean, there's lots of times when we really turned the bike around. I remember sometimes when you think, wow, we yeah. nailed it this weekend. We, you know, yep. thought about it. JB wasn't the sort of guy that was scared to jump out of his seat and walk around the bike when we were working on it and go, okay, you clowns, what do you think? Really? Yeah. Yep. Which I really, really appreciated that because there was enough knowledge in the from the mechanical side of us that we weren't immune to knowing what was going on, you know, because although we weren't sitting there listening to it, we would hear all the comments. Yep. Because, you know, a lot of time Alex and I would rush over there to hear what he'd say and then we'd come back and we'd, we'd talk about it with ourselves, what, what what options, what would we do if we were doing the song, you know? Yep. And, you know, I mean, Fair Play JB would sometimes ask us that, you know, we'd have, because we'd always, always travel in the car together, three of us, and we'd just throw ideas around in the car going back and, and he was never one to say, you know what, I think you've got it. But oftentimes yep. we'd turn up <laughs> the next morning. And We've got it. <laughs> would, he's got it. Yep. But, you know, it's, it's come from some of our ideas. It's cool. But nah, he was he was good at analysing stuff logically. I mean, it doesn't always come in the first sessions to get the great bike. You know, you have to look at things and look back on other years and the same comments and stuff like that. But, you know. It's a bit of a science racing, or people say, "Oh, it's simple," and it's you know you've got the same you know all corners and tarmac and stuff. But no. when you get to the pointy end, it's a whole different point. Yeah, you're at the premier. There's nothing bigger. No, in no. that sport, you know, exactly. there's nothing bigger. 
What's what's been a really good day in racing life? Like what's been a really good one? Oh, winning. Yeah, winning's <laughs> always good. Um, obviously, two thousand four. That one we mentioned before. That's obviously a flash. Yeah, that's always going to be the best one. I think when you when you go into a weekend, probably for me as a mechanic, the the, the best weekends are when you've had like something traumatic during the weekend. You know, he's crashed or ridden off a bike and you've had yep. to work like a dog to get it right and you've gone out there and won it or I mean heaps of times we've uh, had to build a new bike and he's gone out there and I mean you like to think that if you build a brand new bike you'd go out there and do a couple of laps and come in and you'd be like oh is everything okay handlebars feel good and all that sort of stuff we've built race bikes and he's gone out there and, and just lined up in the race and started and won I mean things like that the other things as a mechanic you just go wow yeah now we, did, we got it right that time, you know. I mean, you don't, you don't, very often you don't get it right, but there are the times that you make you feel really good. Yeah. You know, or you're struggling. I mean, when you go there and you're, you're dominant all weekend, because there was a period there when Valley was really dominant, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I tend to forget about it, but, gee, we used to have a, a song on the, on, the, on the music we'd play every time we won, like, we are the champions. We'd play it as loud as we could get it. Yeah. Well, you must have seemed like the biggest mongrels in town just playing that every <laughs> when we were packing up after a race. Yep. But it was just, how way, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure the other people hated it, but, you know, when we were finishing second sometimes, you'd just be so disappointed mm. at, during that period of time. And that was just because you think, what, do we do? what, what didn't we get right? Yeah. Because you're at, you're at the top of your game and, and second just sounds bad saying it now after, you know, the last years of where we, we struggled a lot. Second just didn't cut it. It really didn't. And even as a mechanic, I, I felt that. Yeah. Because JB and everyone had that mindset. You know, if we can't win it, we're not here. We're not going good enough. Yeah. You know, you think of the championship that Mir just won. You know, he won one race. Yeah. He had his average. He only had to finish fifth to win it. Yeah. I mean, at our best, we won eleven races in one season, and probably didn't, and probably went down to the wire a little bit, probably at some point. You know, we, yeah. we didn't win it by like five races or anything, but 11 wins and such a, such a different time. Oh, it is. This last one was very strange. Oh, very strange, yeah. When you, you think know. of how many how many, how many people winners. won it and how, how many people had wins and failed. And I mean, it almost felt like nobody wanted to win the title this yeah. year, last year. Yeah, it really did, you know, mm -hmm. and you see Quattararo at the start. You think, okay, this is probably going to be it, you know, but yeah, yeah. yeah then the peaks and drops, you know, it was, it was very strange. It was, yeah, he seemed to get to, to get to France and fell apart. It did, yeah, which is, you know, it's a shame. Yeah, it, it's a, oh, I, th I think this year, 21, is going to be a great year again. I think it's going to be very similar to what we just had, I believe. Yeah, I reckon. Mm. What's been one of the best celebrations? Like, surely there's an after-party somewhere that's a good one? Yeah, I mean, it would, pro it would probably be some of the early ones, to be honest. Yep. Because I would have to say that not that many huge after parties probably in the last 10 years. It, yep. I don't know, everyone's getting older. Sports you know, changing, like, people are getting older. Yeah, like sometimes in America, because everyone seems to go out in America on a Sunday night sort of thing and have a few after drinks and stuff there, but probably Portugal. I remember Portugal. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't even know whether it was because we won or not. We went out for dinner and some of the VR guys were, were there, the... Um, and there was fish tanks and they were putting their heads in fish tanks and pulling fish out with their teeth and drink behind the bar drinking beer straight out of the tap and Jeez. 
one of the mechanics got pulled out of the surf by the beach there where Valley was coming back from the nightclub. Just just went wayward, yep. you know, just I don't know why sometimes things just happen. <laughs> things just happen, you know. And you know, there's other things that happen I probably can't even talk about, but you know, it was just one of those places, one of those times, and I don't even know why. Yep. But there's the the after parties are never as what people think they are, you know, they think they're just yep. out of control and they're, they're generally not. They're Certainly in the early days, they were a little bit wilder than they, they were in the later years because, I mean, Valentino pretty much after the races, he got quite often jump on a plane and fly home. Straight you know, away. Yeah, we're still packing up and his jet's taken off, so, you, you know, it's only the team going out for dinner and having a few beers, but never anything wild. Everyone's got flights to catch the next morning or half the people try and get flights that night, so. It's the thing, and it's still work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. It's work. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's not, not, not quite how it used to be. What was the um? What was the Portugal track before Portimo? Estoril. That's right. Yeah, I was trying to think what it was. So. Yeah, really nice, really nice area. Same Portimao. Portimao is in a nice area. I just really hope they have some more races in Portugal. Yeah. You know the fans love it, and Oliveira winning there the other week. You know the, the last race was a pretty it's good thing. It's very good. Yeah. yeah, it's good to see. Yeah. Do you reckon New Zealand will get a Grand Prix? I don't know. I haven't been to any of the the Hampton Downs and all those places. Yep. I don't know. Yeah, I guess there's probably a small chance, but it's the, it's the financial. I think we've got facilities, that whatever the circuit is in the in the South Island, the region yeah, um, Highland Park. Something, yeah, Highland Park. Highland yeah. Park, something, yeah. I think that has great facilities, mm. but it's in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if there's enough accommodation, and to be honest, it's a big expense to hold a Grand Prix. Yeah. You're like millions of dollars you have to pay to Dorna, and that's why a lot of the places we don't go to anymore, you know, mm. South Africa. Bruno is off today. Oh, really? Huh. Yeah. yeah it's well, a bummer. That, oh, well, Bruno's one of the best tracks of, yeah. the, of the circuit. And that that's all financial. It's not because people don't want, don't want to go there. Yep. And I guess Espelita from Dorna, he's, you know, he's been f- subsidising a lot of circuits in different places around the world. I mean, they want it's like they want to have riders from different countries. So it's, it's a shame if you could just pick out places you could go to and there was not political or money-driven it would be a great place to go to, but I, I really can't see us ever going to New Zealand, unfortunately. Mm. Although, you know, I'm sure the spectators would love it. Just too expensive, you know. Do you reckon Australia will continue? I think so, yeah. Yeah. The, I know they're trying to change the time of the year that they have it. Do you agree with that? Yeah, sure. Yeah? We, as, we, a, as a team person? Yeah, yeah just, just for the conditions and everything yeah. like that. Like, we used to always go there early in the season. We'd go to South Africa, Phillip Island, and uh, Brazil, I think, in the same kind of order. Having it at the end of the year, the weather's too climatic. It's too hard, yep. You know, and, and the problem is that Formula One and Superbikes got their hands on the beginning of the season. Mm. But there's been a lot of talk for a long time, and Valentino told me last year that, you know, it's pretty much done and dusted that they were going to, I think, 22, they're going to try and have Philip Holland one of the first races. But it makes sense. Well, it does, because if we, we get, as it is now, where if we go to Qatar and then go to Europe, for the first race, it's still pretty cold in Jerez at that time of the year. It's not as warm as you'd like it. So, you know, if we had another race in the Southern Hemisphere while well, it's still summer, I mean, it just makes sense to follow the sun. Yeah, if you come here in March, late March, yeah, something like that, it'd be exactly. perfect. Yeah, that'd be good. Jeez, you've travelled some. <laughs> <laughs> you really travelled some. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's really cool now to look at, um, obviously, Jeremy. I don't know about this year, but last year we've had Michelin job within ASPK. Yeah. 
yourself now you've started Desmo Sport Ducati yeah it's cool to have that experience and some of those people coming through you know into the teams here I reckon it's pretty cool isn't it it is really good I, I, I mean I, I, when I came home I, a few people said oh you're going to get a job in Australia racing I said no I won't do that sort of thing but it just happened because Alex I mean I don't know when you're going to put this podcast out here but I could probably tell you now because you'll probably find out Alex is actually taking JB's job the Michelin one yeah oh good <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so that's good. So he yeah. spoke to me the other day and it's yeah, probably, I don't know if it's been announced, but he's, he spoke to Ben about it. But yeah, so he's he's, he's back on the tools, like changing tyres and doing that thing for yep. Michelin. So that's only, and for me doing, well, working with Ducati and, and Troy and Ben, it's almost like a part-time gig for me because I'm used to doing 20 races and they've got seven. Yeah. So it's not it's not a lot of time in my year. And you know, we've done a few tests and there's a few test days and been in the workshop, but I'm kind of enjoying the relaxed side of it, you know, mm. and it is a lot more relaxed, you know. Oh, it would be, yep. But in a nice way, you know. I mean, we've still got the same objectives. Still doing races. Yeah, exactly. And it's just scaled down, and it's. I'm really enjoying it. Really. And you're not working on junk either. Like you're working on no. good bikes. Like yeah, no, exactly. Bikes. Yep. Yeah, and they run a good ship down there. They really yep. do. And um, I mean, I think we're gonna have a great year. I'm looking forward to it. Ollie's gonna be one to watch. He's fast. Yeah. He really is. I mean, you yep. think he hasn't done much on it. He, was, he wasn't too much behind Mike down at Phillip Island. He's a little bit more of a gap in um, Morgan Park. But, yeah, he's going to be a front-runner for sure. Yeah. I mean, especially, I, I think, the times that Yamaha did out at the Morgan Park and what we did were sort of like a, a little bit ahead of them, I think. So hopefully that translates to when we come race time. Fingers crossed it's a good season. Like, we need uh, – the sport needs a good season here. You know, there's some really good riders and the packages are all good. It'd be nice having a nice season. I think so. And, and having last year been cut short and everything like that, it's sort of – you know, everyone wants to see more racing, yeah. you know. And, uh, no, it'll be good. Having Alex there – got one more thing. Having Alex there, that must have been good for you over, like, travelling the whole time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Isn't no. that – does that make it a lot easier? Oh, for sure. Yeah. And, I mean, it's not – we never – we weren't always sitting next to each other when we were flying, but we're always, you know, you, you, you spend so much time together. It was just, it's, it's easy being with that. We've worked for, together for so long, so close, driving the same car, stay in the same hotel, half the time share the same room together. Yep. So, gee, I spent so much more time with Alex than I did my wife, you know, for 10, 15 years. Yeah. And I uh, got an easy demeanour with like-minded, you know, we, we want to win, we think the same about how we work on the bikes and, and how they op operate and to, to get the best out of them. So it's, it's been great. You know, I probably couldn't have wished for a better guy to work with and to learn from, you know, because, I mean, he's got more experience than me. Mm. You know, he's been on the game another five years, probably even longer. But we started from the same background, motocross, you know, and then just, you know, his, his story, he'll tell you about it one day, that how he got into the Grand Prix was just by chance. Wow. He, he wasn't like a road racing fan or anything just stumbled across it like I did isn't it funny eh you know that was a great story I mean yeah the stories here are pretty impressive as well you know and how many people along the paddock would be the same they sort of stumbled into the sport yeah well think of, think of Alex he's a he's a bus mechanic yep and uh, the other mechanic that works with us Belgian guy he was a school teacher really yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure in, in our team Yamaha factory team I was the only mechanic bike mechanic only bike mechanic wow that's so yeah. funny, isn't it? it you is, know, you're, you're in the absolute top of the sport and yeah. you're the only bike mechanic within the shed. Yeah, but it's, 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 it's a one of those set. things where it's not what you know, it's who you know. But you don't have to, because it's a little specific, the job, 
you just have to be that person that gets on well and yep. can work under pressure. Basically, you don't have to you don't have to be an A grade mechanic or anything like that. You you just got to have the good mechanical skills and because you because you learn it all. You know, I mean, it's mm. building a gearbox is not something you do every day as a bike mechanic. You know, I mean, you, you get a chance to do it, yeah, but not four or five times a weekend sort of thing. No. So and they're different to everything else. So. So yes, it's an interesting when we talk about it. You know, the uh, career paths that everyone's taken to get there, and yep. I mean, sure, it's different now. I mean, you if you want to be a mechanic, you have to do your tenants on a Moto Three, Moto Two, yep. you know, stuff like that. You just don't step into a factory team. <laughs> yeah, it'd be it'd be different. You know, like like your first one going over to work on an RC forty five in the factory team. Yeah, that'd I be mean, very hard. You know, to do now. Oh, exactly, and yeah. that only came out of situation. I mean, we were, we were going to work on a, we were going to be working on a good bike, but you know, Simon stumbled across a, the get the, got the factory ride. So yep. then we straight away were on the factory. So I mean, I didn't really get to do it on crappy bikes. If you, yeah. For the use of a, another word, you know, my whole career has been on factory bikes. So pretty been, cool. Been lucky, very lucky. Hypothetically, if Valentino comes back into a different team at some point, would you go back over? I'd certainly, the way my career finished there was kind of disappointing with with COVID and we didn't get the results we wanted. And I really wanted to finish my career with Valentino when he finished. And that was a disappointing part, not the fact that I had to leave Yamaha because Fabio came, but I would have liked to have gone to Petronas to, to finish the story basically. Yeah. But with COVID and stuff like that, you know, it's uh, it's impo- it'd be impossible to go back now because if I left the country here, I wouldn't know when I was going to come back. So, but to answer your question, I'd certainly be interested, but it would have to be something challenging and something that I thought would, you know, light my fire again. Yeah. You know, I was, I was getting a little bit so long in the same team, sort of some things get a little bit old. Not 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 the work and the the drive to win, just. Surround, surrounding things, you know. So I was I certainly wouldn't say no to, to even consider something, but you know, yeah. who knows? Awesome. Two well, days ago, two days ago. I mean a week ago I don't think I'd be <laughs> doing the Australian Superbikes. Well that's right, <laughs> travelling to seven of Australia's goat tracks. <laughs> no, we got some we're actually really lucky. We have got some good places. No, so no, no, sure. It no. is good. So that's no, good. Mate, thank you so much for sitting down for a few hours. It's um as I said before, it's really it's surreal, you know, watch you on T V for whatever amount of years and um, to sit down and talk to you about some of the things that you know, I've grown up watching been pretty cool so thanks heaps mate no pleasure thanks thanks for letting me talk no worries thanks okay. cheers